Welcome to the Best of Women's Fiction podcast. I'm Lainey Cameron, and in this podcast, I interview authors I admire. In this episode, I'm thrilled to welcome Julie Carrick Dalton, an author who Library Journal named as one of the four most important new women writers to follow. We chat about her debut novel, Waiting for the Night Song, which was selected by Newsweek as one of the most anticipated books of 2021. We recorded this video in January 2021. I'm here with Julie Carrick Dalton, my great friend and one of the writers I most admire. And her new book just came out this week, Waiting for the Night Song. So first off, congratulations, Julie. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. And um, where are you joining me from? I'm in Boston, Massachusetts. Awesome. And let's talk about Waiting for the Night Song. This book, I am in writerly awe of you because the way you describe the setting is amazing. I don't know if I've ever read a book that does such a great job of putting you in the forest. I, I felt like I could feel like the dirt in my hands as she was like digging into the tree and like, wow, you have a real talent for like setting, but also combining it with plot. Like this thing keeps you on the edge of your seat. It's a mystery. It's a fabulous book. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I really enjoyed writing. I love being out in nature. So writing nature is just the, the way words come out of me is through nature. So talk to me about the inspiration, a little bit about the book and its inspiration here. Um, so it was pretty much inspired by bad parenting. I think it would come down to um, when I, my, I have four kids and when they were younger, we used to go out blueberry picking on a canoe all the time. And we'd go in the mornings and pick blueberries and come home and make, you know, pancakes and waffles with them. Um, but we were picking berries off these wide open swaths of land that didn't, you know, there weren't any houses around or anything, but we would take the berries. And then my kids started asking, like, are we stealing these blueberries? Who do they belong to? And, you know, I didn't think anybody's going to care if my kids were taking a few blueberries from a bush, but I found myself making up all these rules to justify why we were taking these blueberries like you know just don't take all of them from one bush or as long as we don't get out of the canoe we're not you know trespassing and then at some point I realized I was making up rules to justify stealing blueberries which is not <laughs> a parenting move so then I was like you know there's a lot of ways in in life that we rely on rules um, to justify our actions whether it's like you know religion or police rules or you know you know, all sorts of different like clubs have codes of conduct and that we sometimes justify bad behavior by saying I was just following the rules or I was just doing what I was supposed to do. So in my book, I took these two little girls who come up with these rules for why it's okay to steal blueberries and I push them to the extreme to the point of covering up a crime. Um, so yeah, so it was my bad parenting was the inspiration for the book. That's brilliant and, and unique. I've never heard bad parenting <laughs> as an answer to that question before. And I love the mystery element. Um, let's take a quick peek at a review here, a fabulous review by Kate Moretti, who's also a great writer. And I thought she captured it so well. She captured the mystery element where she said a decades old murder and cover up, but set against the backdrop of drought and the threat of wildfire. And this is climate fiction. We should talk about this too. I mean, you do such a great job of describing the climate elements of this. And I just thought she encapsulated really well when she says you write with grace, passion, and obvious ecological expertise. And to me, this is a great review from a, a wonderful writer. And you were just telling me this was your first blurb, right? Yeah. So the story behind this is that I had um, Kate had been, um, 
auctioned off a manuscript review for a charity auction back. This is like in 2016, I think, maybe even 2015. And so I jumped on it because she's, you know, a great mystery writer. And so um, I sent her, I won the auction and I sent her, I think the first 50 pages and she wrote back to me and she's like, I don't think I can help you. I think you're ready to query the book, but I just took your money and I feel guilty. So let me read the whole thing and I'll blurb it for you. And I didn't even have an agent yet. So this was such a gift. And she wrote me this wonderful blurb and I included it in all my queries. And I think it helped me find an agent. And she was just really kind and it was a very generous thing to do. So I've always appreciated that. Oh, that's fabulous. And her books are also great mystery novels and also keep you on the edge of your seat. Yeah. just like yours did for me. Oh, thank you. So what changed during the book? Like you went through visions, like you say, at some point it was ready and it was ready to see the world and it's definitely past ready. I feel like this is one of the most polished debuts I've ever read. Um, but what changed along the way as you revised? Were there pieces that disappeared that a reader might be surprised to know were once there or that changed? Tell us more. Yeah. So um, the story um, is a dual timeline narrative. So it goes back and forth from the perspective of my main character, Katie, from when she was 11 and then when she's in her late 30s. So it doesn't alternate every chapter, but it goes back and forth, you know, almost every other chapter. But originally I wrote it chronologically starting when she was 11 and I wrote the whole story. I mean, I wrote her high school years and her college years and her 20s. And, and then at some point I realized the whole story happens when she's 11 and at the end, at the present day. And the rest of it just really didn't matter. I wrote all that for me. So it was kind of painful, but I cut out the whole middle of the book. And then I wove it together as a dual timeline story because I realized there was a mystery in her childhood and a mystery in her adulthood. And telling them side by side added um, layers to both stories and created a one one bigger story by telling them at the same time. So, yeah, it was a, a, the whole middle of the book disappeared. Um, but I, I never really needed to tell that story, unfortunately. So it was a lot of wasted words. But I guess I needed to know what happened to her during, during those years. I think that's not unusual, right? We don't know the message or the story until we write the thing, and then we're like, okay, that's what this is really about. Yeah. yeah. And it's also in the category of climate fiction, which you introduced me to. I wasn't familiar with this idea. Can you talk a little bit more about that for a sec? Yeah, I love talking about climate fiction. Um, it's my favorite thing to read and my favorite thing to talk about. It's kind of a, a, an emerging category that not that many people are talking about, but it's about uh, fiction that engages climate science in the story. And it can be anything from the apocalyptic, dystopian and future stories, or, I mean, there's this, uh, a romance shipped from Angie Hockman coming out in April that it's like, it's like a rom-com on a cruise ship, but it engages climate science because they're talking about species in the Galapagos. So it, it can be, and there's a lot of YA now coming out that's talking about climate. And I don't write apocalyptic dystopian necessarily, but I, I engage some speculative ideas in my story, but it's very contemporary, very grounded in reality. But this umbrella of climate fiction can be from, you know, you know, space opera to, you know, thrillers, mysteries, romance, everything, as long as it engages climate science in some meaningful way. It's awesome. And what about reading? I know you're right in the middle of a book launch here. Have you had a chance? Do you still get to read as this is going on? Yeah, I mean, I, I would like to be reading more at the moment, but um, I think that one of my very favorite books I read this year, I'll show you, this is um, Migrations by um, Charlotte McConaughey, which came out in August, and I absolutely love this book. I can't say enough things about it. It's about this journey of this woman. It's really her journey through grief as she's, um, it's set in the near future and it's a climate story. Um, and she's tracking the last migration of the Arctic terns. Like almost all birds and mammals are extinct in this world. So she is on a boat and they're tracking the last flock of Arctic terns as they migrate 
And um, it's really about her journey through, it's a love story and a journey through grief. And it is just beautiful. It's beautifully written and the message in the story it gives you this bleak vision of the future, but somehow you walk away with it feeling hopeful, which I think is like an amazing thing for a writer to do. So yeah, I love this story. Wow. Wow. Okay. You got me wanting to read that one. Um, so advice, advice for writers earlier in the journey, like what have you learned that you're passing back to folks in the, in the generation coming up after you here? Yeah, I'd say the two biggest things I would, well, I'll start with the community, which I know you will back me up on this one, but finding a writing community is so important. You know, I first started writing this book by myself. I was just, you know, me and my computer and I didn't know if what I was writing was any good, if it had, if there was any hope for this story, if it interested people, I didn't know which parts of it were terrible and some of them absolutely were. Um, and so I found a writing community in Boston at Grub Street and I enrolled in this program called the Novel Incubator where 10 of us spent a year together, really intense, revising all 10 books over a year. And I learned as much from reading their books. And so I guess that's what I would say to writers is, you can learn as much about writing from helping someone else with their book, like helping them revise, you know, bouncing ideas around for their book, because sometimes you see things in someone else's writing that you don't recognize in your own, but then you can like reflect that back on your own writing. So I, I've, you know, also connected with other writing organizations over the years and every writer that I've, you know, collected into my little group of writers has added something to my journey or to my writing, um, to, even to my confidence level, you know, to give me, me hope and encouragement. And then the other little tiny nugget I would say is trust yourself that you that you planted Easter eggs you didn't know you planted. And what I mean by that is when I went back and read versions of my book, I found these little unexplored things that I subconsciously put in my book that I didn't mean to. But as I went back and read them, they were like, they exploded into ideas that I think sometimes your subconscious puts things in your writing that you don't know you need to explore more. So when you're finished a draft, go through and read it and, you know, imagine like, why did I put that book on the shelf? Or why was she wearing those weird boots that day? And, and let yourself go with them. And sometimes like I found some of my most exciting discoveries were Easter eggs I left myself and I didn't know I did. Oh, that's a, such a such a great um, piece of advice. I, I discovered the same thing and often my beta readers find them before I did. Yeah. I actually had a beta reader say like, and the roses and the theme of the roses, why is it different in this chapter? And I'm like, cause I didn't realize it was a theme. So yeah, it's so true. And community, of course, absolutely. Um, so is there anything you haven't had a chance to say here that you want to make sure to cover? Cause folks are maybe new to you and your book. Is there anything we haven't talked about? Well, I guess like the one thing I would, I would hope readers would take away from my book, um, is this idea of interconnectivity. I, my book takes place in a small town in new England. It's a very insular little community where everybody knows everybody, but I try to, um, draw these like threads to the bigger world from this little tiny town that's being affected by climate change in, in quiet ways. But, um, like the night song in the title is from a, a little bird that's endangered and, and at risk of going extinct in the New Hampshire forest. But the reason it's dying is because it's winter habitat in the Caribbean is being destroyed by hurricanes and deforestation. And I drew a lot of small threads in the story that linked this little tiny town, in the mountains of New Hampshire, to the broader world and to climate change and how you know actions in one part of the world um, can impact someone else that you will never know you impacted them. You know, someone who's tearing down trees in the Caribbean for a farm doesn't realize they're destroying the habitat of a bird that's not gonna migrate back to New Hampshire and then sets the ecosystem in New Hampshire off kilter. 
And so I like this idea of thinking that, you know, you can't think about climate change in a silo. Like we don't all exist in little tiny microcosms. We're all connected and that we have to trust that we don't know the ways we're connected to other communities. So being responsible for our actions isn't just about being responsible to ourselves. It's being responsible to people who we don't even know we might be affecting. Wow. I love that. It's, I've got nothing to add. I've <laughs> thought there. My brain's going like, oh, yeah. Um, well, let's take a quick peek at how people can connect with you and see more about your book and join jo join your social media. So on Instagram, you're at Julie C. Dalton. And yep. on the web, JulieCarrickDalton.com. And they can get to all your other social media of their preference there from your website. Absolutely. I would love to hear from folks. I'm, I'm a newbie to Instagram and I do not understand it very well. So I would love some new followers. There you go. That would be perfect. We'll encourage folks to follow you. And um, thank you for joining me today. It's so great to have you on here. And this book is fabulous. In fact, I'm off to write my review this week. Oh, so. Thank you, Lainey. And thank you so much for inviting me on. It's so good just to see you. I'm excited to be on your show, but just to see your face makes me happy. I miss you. Absolutely. Me too. Take care. All right. Bye. If you'd like to see the video version of this interview and many others, visit bestofwomensfiction.com or follow me, Lainey Cameron, on Instagram, where I share these interviews weekly. You can also subscribe right here to the podcast.